0: Peace be with you. We have a difficult text. Um, and I, I don't say that because it's complex or any sort of uh, confusing language. Truthfully, it's difficult because, for the most part, it's pretty familiar to us. At least around here, a passage like Ephesians 2, most of us know it. And so the reason why that's difficult is because when it comes to hearing it taught or hearing it read, we can just go, I've heard it, and just sort of click off. And so what I'd like to do before we get into it all is to pray again, as, as I usually do. Uh, I, I think it was about a year ago, I, it was the first time I preached here at Sojourn, and ever since then I've had this stubborn insistence upon preaching, even after the person before me just preached for me. Um, I don't know. But I, I want to pray for us again. If you don't mind, so if you would, please pray with me. Father, we believe that you're here, that you're with us. It's not just something we do or, you know, we come sing songs, hear some guy talk, Lord, but we really believe that you're here. And Lord, we really believe that when your word speaks, you speak. So I pray, Lord, tonight through your word, through your spirit, even, Lord, if I could ask that you would, you would speak through me. I pray that I would serve your people well. And I pray most of all, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, that we would behold wonderful things in your word. And we would hear from you, that you would visit us. And God, we would be different for having been with you. So God, we give this time. We invite you to come. We want you to be here with us. And we ask it all in jesus name amen uh, well i spent a day with a dead man once uh, technically he wasn't dead um, but if it weren't for all of the machines and sort of modern magic frankly uh he he would have been uh, at the time i was serving as an associate pastor in a church in kentucky and uh the church is about 110 years old and frankly So was most of our congregation. Um, So visits like this weren't so unusual. Uh, We spent a lot of time, the pastor and I, visiting people in hospitals, seeing people that frankly didn't look too good. And this one guy in particular has always stood with me, I think because maybe the severity of the situation. My grandma died when I was young, and so I've, I've, I've seen dead people before. But usually, you know, when you go to a funeral, they're, they're dressed up. They don't look like, they look like they're normal, just sleeping. Um, but this guy, I, I walked in and, and I took one look at him. and uh, I mean, this was terrible pastoral care. I took one look at him and I was just, I was struck. This this, old, this elderly man with just paper thin, gray skin, who could barely breathe. In fact, was connected to a machine that helped him breathe. And it, it seemed like he there was just this, Unbelievable amounts of wires and connections, and everything around him connecting to this guy. And and I, it's a morbid thought, and and I'm ashamed to admit it, but I'm going to anyway. uh, I looked at this guy, and I thought to myself, if someone came in here and turned these machines off, that'd be it. He'd be gone. The only thing keeping this guy going was all these machines. And again I, I don't say that I don't want to be insensitive in saying that uh, because there was a point in time in my life in my family when we had to make that decision. we had to look at my other grandma and say "It's time." But the thing that struck me about this moment, seeing this poor man while all these machines, everything connected, just trying to keep his body going I, was a terrible pastor to his grandson who was in the room. Luckily the pastor was there for that. But I just remember thinking, this is this is Ephesians two. This is this is what he's saying. That all of us are you know, we're, con, we're connected and we're sort of animated by these other things, but we're not really alive. We're not really living. And I think I think part of what made this so so profound for me, just burned it in my memory, was because it was real. It was personal for me. Because there had been that moment when me and my family had to say, Grandma's already gone. It's just time for us to turn her off. You know, when things are real and personal, man, it just, it just drives it into you. you. You don't ever forget those moments. And this was, a, this was one of those moments for me. And every time I come back to this text and every time I study it again, I've preached this I don't know how many times, when I, when I came back to this text again, I'm struck by the fact that this is difficult to understand. Not because it's complicated, but because, because I realize I don't believe it, right? Like certain things are hard to understand because you know maybe maybe the, the words are unusual or the concepts are unfamiliar or uh, you know sometimes even even Peter will say in Second Peter three that sometimes Paul says things that are just hard to understand. And this isn't one of those. What makes this text so hard, apart from it being familiar to us, is that really what we struggle with is we don't believe it. We don't believe what he says about us and we really don't believe what God says about himself. And so I... I find it hard to believe because really what he's describing here, it's, it's not real. It's not personal to me. At least it hadn't been for most of my life. Right? And I think most of us feel that way. We look around, we say, well, he says we're dead. But, you know, I feel, like I, I look pretty alive. And I look at other people and they don't, I don't feel like I'm in The Walking Dead or something like that. Everyone seems to be doing okay. So I, it, maybe it's just, maybe it's just a metaphor. Maybe it's just an idea. Maybe that's what Paul is, is getting at, but the problem with that is that if, if it's just a metaphor, if it's just this abstract idea, then it, it stays that way. And an abstract God with abstract mercy and abstract grace can only save abstract people. Which all of that is simply to say, if it's just an idea, it doesn't mean anything. mean, even as I wrote that earlier, I thought, man, that's, am I sure? It feels like a crazy thing to say, but what I've really come as I've sat with this is I really feel like if this is just abstract to us, it doesn't mean anything. If this is just an idea to us, then so what? Earlier, I shared that morbid thought of mine if this nurse came in and turned everything off uh, it makes me a terrible pastor but it is is what it is I thought it and I want to share that with you but now as I've been thinking over this again I I wonder what would happen if Jesus entered that room stood at this man's bedside it's not some some nurse but Jesus himself and and stood up to this man and gently held his hand and said get couldn't help but thinking of what John, Jesus does in John chapter 11 when his friend dies. Lazarus is dead and he goes to him and he says, you, you get that stone out of here and Lazarus come out. It's no metaphor. It's no just idea that this is a real God who offers real mercy and real grace and who commands real life. And what we have, what, what God has to say to us tonight and in this text is simply that God is not an abstract idea and his grace isn't just a concept, but that it is something real. And Jesus stands at the spiritual bedside of all of us It says, get up. And what we find is a, is a real God who really makes us alive. Not just so that we can say we're alive, but he makes us alive so that we can walk with him so that we can live with him. A real God who offers real grace and makes real people live. That's compelling. That will change you. That will change us. That will change this city. And That's exactly what God has to offer us tonight here in Ephesians 2. And if you're making if you're making notes, it, you can simply write down this first point: is simply that God makes us alive. God makes us alive, and the reason why I say that's the main point before we get to all of this other stuff is because all of this, these first seven verses, it's really just one sentence. And and those of you who love grammar, you, you'll you'll really love this part. Uh, the subject and verb of this sentence doesn't come until halfway through. Uh, Otherwise, the main point of what Paul is trying to say doesn't come until verse four and five. And a lot of times, I've even done this myself, a lot of times when you hear people preach this, they'll they'll isolate out these first three verses. And we'll we'll talk about these first three verses and and, and the, the sinfulness of man and all the ways that we see that. And the only reason now that that I think that that's wrong is because that's not Paul's main point. But If we make that the main point, we're going to miss his main point, which is simply that God makes us alive. So why then these first three verses? Well, because if God makes us alive, that means we're in a state of not being alive. So then Paul's statement in verse 1 that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, well, that makes a lot more sense now. I know that what he's driving at is that God has to make me alive well that means I must be dead and he he gives a lot of reasons for this that that number one it it was simply by choice right he says in verse 2 that we walked in this which for the Bible is a familiar way to simply just say we lived in it this is who we were this is what we did it's how we made our decisions it's what we decided to do on a Friday night we walked in this it just defined and described our lives It was active. We chose it. We did it. So we chose this condition. But he also says that it wasn't just our decision. There was something external to us. Notice what he says after that. When he says that we were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There is something external outside of us that constrains us and presses us in to this way of life. And for most of us, again, we hear this as a metaphor because, I mean, we're good Western people raised in Western education. We go, well, there's, you know, demons are up there with dragons and fairies and whatnot. So this, this all just must be a metaphor. Uh, the challenge is that, is that the burden of proof is on our modern western culture because for all of human history across this entire globe every culture has acknowledged no there is a spiritual reality beyond what we can see so really the burden of proof is on us and i I don't think we have to look very far i don't want to belabor this point but i don't think we have to look very far to recognize that no, that there is something quite powerful and quite evil in this world that just goes beyond you and me I think just alone the awareness of the rise of sex trafficking here even in our own city when you hear some of these stories you recognize man there's something there's something behind that the burden of proof is on us to say no 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 these things are just fairy tales they don't exist Because you go anywhere else man they are very very real Paul says, man, they're they're real in me and they're real in you. There's a spiritual power over you that is pressing you into your own sinful choices, your own desires. We can't ignore that. So it's by choice, it's by nature. I should say it's it's by influence and it's by nature. Notice what he says in verse 3. That... We all once lived these sons of disobedience. That we all once lived among them, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We we don't often think of the word passion as something bad. We use it in a positive way. We've got a passion for social justice. We have a passion for sharing the gospel. Sojourn as a as a church has a passion for being a, a family of believers. So we don't use it in a negative sense, but in in Paul's day, it was negative. It's this idea of this sort of animalistic impulse. And he underscores that by saying not just passions, but desires, this lustful motivation. Both of these ideas paint this picture that, man, we ran after things to use them, to consume them to gain something for ourselves and dry up whatever they have. I think most of us have seen that in our own life. I, I certainly can name many times in my life when that exactly described me. So I said, man, this state that we're in, this deadness that we have by choice, by influence, by nature, that all of us had it. But I think it's even fair to say that it's, um, it's in all people. Right, so at, at this time when Paul's writing this, the, the, the big cultural tension is between Jews and non-Jews. For I, I, don't, I don't feel like that's a, a big clash today. But it would, it would be similar to the reaction that we're seeing um, out of events that have happened with Trayvon Martin and Eric Garner and all these people, that this tension that we're finding in our country. Think of that. And as Paul writes his letters to his churches, it's always on the forefront of his mind. He talks about it in Romans. He'll talk about it in uh, Colossians and other places, this this uniting of all people. God just doesn't deal with me. He deals with us. And I think it's fair to say that he's he's doing that right here because notice in in verses 1 and 2, he says, you were this way. You were like this. And then in verse 3, he's, he, he transitions. It's no longer you, it's we, us. And I think what he's doing is sort of condensing down what you see in other letters where he kind of talks about the Jews and religious people and the Gentiles and all, all of their pagan religion and how they're so different, but the need's the same. I feel like he's just pressing that all down. He's saying, you Gentiles, you're dead in your tre- sins and trespasses. But us Jews, it's the same. And I feel like I'm on good ground to say that because in the verses after our passage today, the very thing that he talks about is that because of what we have seen in Christ, this God who makes us alive, that he's he's binding together these Jews and these Gentiles, these people who hated each other and had uh, the greatest contempt for one another, he's making them one person, one man, one body, one people. So this state that Paul's describing, this thing that God has made us alive out of, it's not just for some of you. It's for all of us. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not, spiritual or not, black, white, Jew, Greek, educated on it. It doesn't matter. All of us are in the same boat. All of us have the same problem, the same diagnosis. And it, well, and... Really, if, if that's not enough, he'll say right there at the end of verse 3, like the rest of mankind. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same place. Our circumstances are pretty bleak. And most of you know that I, I, I didn't grow up in Houston. I was I was born here, I want to make that clear, but I didn't grow up here uh, so I'm still a Texan. Um, I, like to, I like to tell Whitney that if Texas ever did secede, I would still be able to get in because I've got my Texas birth certificate. But where I grew up was still just as much filled with cultural Christianity as we see in Houston still. Because I, I, I grew up in a church, I was there every Sunday, Wednesday nights, youth group activities, whatever was going on. And beyond that, I, I went to a private Christian high school. And all all of my closest friends were people that I had grown up with in church, that I had spent all my time with, I had gone on trips with, I had all these experiences with, uh, was so close to these people that their parents were like aunts and uncles to me. So everywhere I looked, I was kind of in this Christian bubble. And so it it made it really easy to be a Christian. And I knew all the answers. I I could pass all the tests. Uh, I knew when to pray and when I could get away with it, which was usually you pray when you're eating out or when guests are over. But when you're at home, it's, you know, it's whatever. I knew all the rules. Um, You know, I, I carried the big study Bible and I was harsh to all my friends who got drunk or slept with their girlfriend or whatever. Until I sinned and I don't just mean that generically, I mean that until I sinned in ways that youth group Jake said, oh, I'll never do that. And then suddenly, for the first time, my sin got very real. Because you see, this spiritual life support that I had been on, it just just made everything abstract. Right? There's those sinners out there and there's me and my people in here and we do all the right things if they would just get their act together. I would never say this. None of us will ever say this. But it's in there. You feel that way. I, I mean, to this day, I still find myself doing that. To my shame. But you know what happened? As my sin got more real to me, so did my Savior. My Savior. All of these things that I learned about God and Christ through all the years and Sunday school and youth group, they just kind of came flooding in. Suddenly this abstract God who was sort of out there and kind of, you know, did things back then, he came to my spiritual bedside and he said, Jake, get up. And you might be now like I was then. We have a lot of smart people here, a lot of you very educated. You read books, you know things. So you know the right answers. You even know the right words to say when you give the right answers. You know when to pray and when you can get away with it. You know the right meetings to go to at the right time and the right way with the right Bible so people look at you the right way and have the right perception. do everything the right way but as Paul says in Colossians 2 have, they have no power to stop the indulgence of the flesh all right, and that's, that's the problem I found myself in on this sort of spiritual life support is that when my sin got real all of these things could do nothing for me they were abstract there was no real grace no real mercy no real God who has real power just ideas and there's a there's a temptation for us in this moment to to sort of click back into our spiritual life support and it can look like the obvious things you know the drinking dancing chewing and going with girls who do or however that thing goes or it can actually look like really spiritual things like it did for me It can look like knowing about God, but not really knowing him. It can look like talking about grace, rather than being able to experience it and extend it to others. It can look like attending church or parish, maybe even leading a parish. But not really celebrating God and joining him in what he's doing. It's a very real temptation for us, and, and I don't know that it's one that ever goes away. Frankly, it can even look like uh, preaching a sermon on the grace of God, rather than uh, rather than really recognizing you need it. and I think through Paul here in Ephesians 2, that the Lord is telling us what I had to learn the hard way. And it's simply that getting real about the depth of our sin puts us in the right place to experience the mercy and the love and the grace of God. That it's only when we come to that point when we can really say in a real way, I am am dead in my sin. That's when the grace of God just comes blowing in. How do I know that? Number one, I, I've, I've experienced it. That's exactly where Paul takes us. God, God makes us alive because we're dead, but he, he makes us alive also because he's merciful. Look at, how, look at Paul. how he, he almost struggles to find words to describe this. In verse 4, that God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And as I mentioned earlier, all of these verses, one to seven, it's all one sentence, right? So there's just, again, grammar guys are gonna love this. There's just one subject and one verb. It's God made us alive. All the rest is just prepositions and participles and all kinds of stuff we all forget after high school. And, you know, the, you can do that sort of thing in Greek. You can't do it in English because your teachers will kill you. But you can do this sort of thing in Greek, which is, uh, which is why it just drives seminary students crazy. And even, uh, I have to confess, even as I, I'm not good at Greek. I don't want you to think that I'm super smart. I had to take it. But even as I dug into this, I'm sitting here going, what? I'm looking at the beginning. I'm like, there's no verb here. I don't understand. I had to ask smarter people. And I'll say, yeah, it's down here. You can do that sort of thing. But it also tells us that this is all one idea to Paul. It's simply that God makes us alive. And he makes us alive because he's merciful. In verses, in verses 4, saying that he's rich in mercy. And then saying that he loved us with a great love. That all of this being in Christ, that it's not these bits and pieces that we have to find somewhere and put it together like some divine scavenger hunt, that all of it is being brought together for us and offered in Jesus. It's all right there. It makes us alive because He's merciful. I I love the way that uh, one author paraphrased these verses. He said that instead of just giving up on us entirely, that God, immense in mercy... And with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. And he did this all on his own with no help from us. It's fair what he's saying, that God, God made us alive because we we're dead, but he made us alive because he's merciful. And he doesn't just do all of that just so we work kind of on speaking terms, right? Just so we can, like a, Sort of an awkward relative you just see at Christmas and Easter. You say, "Hey, you tell him what's going on," and then you find a reason to get away from him. He he wants more than that, and he's offering more than that. Look at verse six. That God isn't just offering to get us off the spiritual life support. He he gets us out of the hospital. If you follow the metaphor, that where Jesus goes, we go. Because he says that he's he's done all of this. He's 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 dealt with our sin. He's made us alive. And he raises us up with him and seats us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Again, where Jesus goes, we go. What Jesus gets, we get. He wants to offer us everything because he's just that kind and he's just that merciful. And it's not even a one-time thing. Look at verse 7, that all of this, all of this dealing with sin, making us alive, seating us with Christ, that the entire reason for it is so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. And just another time where it's like, he just goes on and on. It's like he can't stop saying all the things that God does for us. It's immeasurable. It's, it's incredible that everything Jesus has we get and wherever Jesus goes we go whatever is true of Jesus is true of us So again I I had to learn to stop at moments like this and ask myself if I'm if I am living my life more by Christian do's and don'ts am I really seeing the mercy and grace and love and power of God I don't think so I don't see how you can because it only comes to us one way it only comes to us through this God who makes us alive because he's merciful But even more so this is all one point by the way <laughs> if you're wondering okay I wrote down point one where's point two it's, I mean, it's coming. This is point one C. D, sorry. See, I'm not even keeping track. He makes us alive because he's gracious. Look at verses, verse eight. This is the one we all know. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. And you know he wants to be, to point that out to us, because he already said that in verse 5. He left off the faith part, but the rest of it, that that this whole thing, this entire enterprise, this everything that God has been doing for us, it's grace. It's grace. And Paul will not leave this moment without hammering it home, that it is by grace. And he adds here in verse 8 that, the through faith part, but then he'll continue to say that, and even even this isn't you, right? And some people debate, well, is it the faith? Is it the grace that Paul's saying that this is not from you? Frankly, it doesn't matter. Because both grace and faith are things that we need, things that we can't find in ourselves, and that without them, and we're, we're back up at verse one, we're still dead. That and the fact that he says in verse 9 that none of this is a result of work so that no one can boast. Because you see, there's no bragging in the kingdom of God. There are no self-made men among God's people. That We all of us are on the same playing field. It doesn't matter what pedigree you come from. It doesn't matter if you are the Pope's cousin. It doesn't matter if you're... Well, more appropriately for us, I should say... It doesn't matter if you are Billy Graham's grandson, John Piper's son-in-law, or Al Mohler's son-in-law. We're all in the same same playing field. It doesn't matter if you've been in church your entire life. If you were born in a pew, as gross as that sounds, this is why a manuscript thinks, because then I say stuff like that. We're all in the same same boat. We're all in the same problem. God offers us all the same solution. Not just a quick fix. Not just a a band-aid to our problems. a God who stands at our spiritual bedside when we are dead for all intents and purposes. We, We have a God who takes us gently and says, get up. Get up, not, not just so that you can get out of this place, not so that you can unplug from all these things that are making it seem like you're alive, but you're really not. God comes to each one of us and he says, get up. Because as Paul says here in verse 10, so that we'll walk with him. Very simply, I mean, there, there's there's not much to explain to it. There's not, Like I said at the beginning, there, there's nothing complicated, there's nothing un- Uh, unclear, uncertain. There's no tricky sort of turn of phrase. It just says it pretty plainly. Where's workmanship? Made in Christ Jesus. If that wasn't plain enough to us, that all of this is in Christ, all of this comes to us in Jesus. We were created to do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That at the end of the day, it's not not what you know. It's not how big your Bible is. It's not how much you give to the church or how regularly you come or the opposite. That what God is inviting us into is, is an actual connection, relationship with the living God, the real God who offers real grace and real mercy to real people. And he pulls us out of that spiritual hospital with all of its spiritual life support. And he says, where I go, you go. So let's go. And just like there's a danger to settle for the lesser things of knowing about God versus knowing God. There's a temptation here for us to settle for the lesser things of just sort of doing nice stuff cool stuff versus actually joining God in what he's doing and that's what that's what Paul's saying that this is what God made us for to join to join him in what he is doing in the world because we don't do it we don't initiate it we don't start it it's God who begins and sustains and brings to completion every work in every city through all time And this God who has made us alive, because he's merciful, because he's gracious. So we will walk with him. He extends that invitation to each of us again. Whether you were with him at one point, but you, for a variety, lots of reasons. You sort of click back into that religious, spiritual, life support kind of life. Jesus is inviting you again to come, to walk with him, to join him in what he's doing. So, And, and you will find real grace and real mercy. A, a lot of times, uh, I feel like I should say, a lot of times, you know, we people get genuinely hurt by churches. So we just sort of click back into I mean, whatever this thing is over here because if that's man, if that's it, I don't know that I want to part. And I just have a feeling that some of you have lived that story. So you just kind of, you just kind of stepping back. I'll do my religious things, but then I'm good. And if that, if that strikes a chord, it could strike a chord with no one. But if it strikes a chord with anyone, it's fair to say that right now, in this moment, Jesus is coming to you once again, He's saying, "Get up, walk with me." find real grace, real mercy, real love where you need it most. And maybe this is the first time. It could be the first time. Jesus makes the same offer.